So I haven't done one of these episodes in a while, however, I did kind of miss the format. Welcome back to the Meatweed Podcast. Normally we tell jokes here, but every now and then, something will catch my eye. And today, I was driving at work, as I do, and I didn't realize that for the longest time I had been driving past a very important historic monument. And this being the James Dean Memorial uh, Junction, which, if you don't know, is a very... Well, I believe, I believe it's very well-known here already. James Dean was an actor who unfortunately died young. However, he died in a car crash in a very specific area in California. And I decided to look more into the, the history and everything about him. Because, yeah, he's an older actor. Yeah, it's, it's been a long time. But this could be interesting, you know? Because the more I looked into it, the more interested I got. I didn't know who James Dean was. I've never seen any of the movies. But I took a deep dive and... What I found really did interest me, and I thought I would educate you guys on who he was and why the memorial was there. All right. Before we get into today's podcast, my sponsor is myself. That's right, I sponsored myself. How? Well, with the Meatweed Store, of course. The Meatweed Store is directly contributing to the podcast. And every time you buy something from there, it goes straight to supporting the podcast. But, all the way up until May 31st, 2022, you can use code BADIDEA1, no spaces, for 20% off the entire store. Just wanted to plug that in before I get started. So, the name James Dean. A lot of people already know who he is. However, if you don't know, I would like to enlighten you on a very interesting man. Who was he? First off, James Dean was an American actor. He's been in, I believe, three, four movies. Not that many, don't get me wrong. But he was a young actor. In fact, he died at the age of 24, which a lot of people admittedly, like they see that and they think that's kind of sad, right? Well, it is. It's a very tragic story, but it's a very interesting one because the thing is, what followed suit wasn't what wasn't a good m- memory, I guess. I really stammered there, my bad. I just got home from work. <laughs> yeah, recording this really quickly, you know, because it's very important to me because I saw it, right? I was driving, you know, a big ass truck like I normally do. And I saw James Dean Memorial and I thought, who's that guy? Because, you know, I'm, I'm younger, I, I don't know. I'm 25, I, I've never seen his movies. They were never out when I was, you know, when I was a kid. Because his, let's see here, most of his movies, 1955, 1956. Yeah, not that many, honestly. But that's not important. What is important is what he did, what he represented, and all of that stuff. Because a lot of people see him as the the teen rebel, like the face of teen rebellion. That's what they see him as. And if you know me, I'm all about that rebellion, that rock on phase, you know? This guy was punk rock before punk rock was even a thing, you know? This guy was older than Gigi Allen. Uh, At at the time of recording, he would have been, let's see, how old is he? 1930, oh shit. He would have been 90, around 90. Let's see here, 1931? My math is bad, okay, I'm sorry. I'm a trucker, I'm not a mathematician. Mathematician, whatever. Since I'm a sucker for clarity, he would have been 91 as of recording. Which, admittedly, that would have been quite a long life. 
if he hadn't died at the age of 24. But he was only in eight movies, okay? Which is still a significant amount for someone as young as him. A lot of people, they haven't, they, they haven't even been in one movie, like you, you listening. How many movies have you been in, huh? I mean, you know, given, given the viewership, maybe one of you have been in like four or five movies, I'm gonna be honest. <laughs> it was because James Dean was born when he was, that he was the face of a nation and an age group, specifically the 1950s, okay? This was around the time where people were finally starting to get desensitized from the war. They were starting to question themselves, you know? The youth at the time had no, they had no delusion. They had no illusion, you know? They would see the world for what it was. They were no longer the, they were no longer the stereotypical American, you know? They were no longer the nuclear family that was a, clutching onto their Bibles or clutching onto the old ideas. He was the face of the 1950s teenager that didn't know what to do with his life or where he was going. And nor was he, you know, he was the perfect face for that because of how young he was. In fact, I'll admit right now, I think he looks pretty damn handsome. Okay. This guy was probably shagging my grandma, honestly. That was disgusting. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> But yeah, James Dean, honestly, his history is just so rich because there isn't much there. But what he did do in his short time here is very, you know, it's fascinating, especially to me, because I, I've been driving past his memorial for so long and I, I didn't even know what I was driving past. He died on September 30th, 1955, near Paso Robles. But he dropped, like, he, his car, okay? Yeah, what was it again? That's the beauty of this show, you know? Like, I don't do any research beforehand. There is no clarity. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just winging it, man. The one thing I remember is that the car that he died in is now synonymous with death. Not only because it killed him, not only because he died in it, but it was everything that happened afterward. James Dean's car, which for some reason I can't remember. This is important, I swear. Okay. The car, which he lovingly named Little Bastard, was a 1955 Porsche Spider. It was a car that was brand new, but it would be his last. He had bought it just nine days before, okay? And the worst part about it is learning more about the car itself. I mean, this man's history is rich, but the car itself, just the car he died in, right? You can no longer buy it. And let me tell you why. There are pieces of this car still around, but do not put any of these pieces of this car on yours. Because there is a, okay, you guys know I don't believe in curses or anything, right? But there's a supposed curse where every time somebody gets a piece of his car and puts it on theirs, they die. You know, they crash really, really badly. It's known as the James Dean cursed car. You know, it's a cursed car because I mean, it, it does kind of make sense. I mean, the guy was a rebel, okay? He liked to race, he liked to smoke, he liked to drink, he liked to do whatever he wanted. In fact, he was really restless. It was reported that after recording, or when they were done just resting on set, he would be very noisy. He would always be hopping around. Very energetic guy. Honestly, I, I would have been good friends with that guy, if I'm being totally honest. But the reason that this curse is so synonymous with him is because of how famous he was at the time. 
Think of it like this. Think of it like Tony Stark, okay? Uh, forget his actor. Okay, you get... <laughs> God damn it. This is why I need to do more research before I record. Robert Downey Jr., my bad. Okay, imagine if Robert Downey Jr. had recorded the Avengers. Like, let's say he didn't play any other movie, right? He was just Iron Man for like eight movies, you know? Let's say he was he was just an up-and-coming star and he suddenly dies. You know, he had a promising future, but his life is tragically cut short. This is a modern interpretation of what happened back then, okay? I'm trying my best here, but it's really hard to bridge the gap when I myself am a young man. There's an interesting history behind not only the car, but what predated it. You see, here's the thing. Alec Guinness, uh, a British actor who met, um, who met James just a week before the crash, actually saw the car, and it caused quite an upset. In fact, it was later revealed in Alec Guinness's diary that... Here, let me just read it for you. The sports car looked sinister to me, exhausted, hungry, feeling a little ill-tempered in spite of Dean's kindness. I could hear myself saying in a voice I could hardly recognize as my own, please never get in it. If you get in that car, you will be found dead in it by this time next week. That, I don't know, that's just, that, that sends a chill up my spine seeing that. A week before his death, and Alec Guinness predicted it perfectly. Could you imagine that? Like, imagine nowadays, if someone had told you, hey, I don't know how I feel about that new Tesla. Like, I, I wouldn't drive it if I were you. It was something about the car. Not, not only, and not only did he predict the death, but he wrote it down in his diary, and it's almost like he feels guilty about it. Like he, like he should have said something, but he didn't. And a week later, James Dean crashed. And it's a very famous crash. In fact, I was there, um, obviously I wasn't there like 50 years ago, are you kidding me? I went to the site, okay? And I could see how someone who was young and reckless and who just bought a new car, someone who was speeding there would definitely crash there. Because it's a three-way intersection, essentially. It's very, it's very unusual to me seeing this because me myself being young, when I first bought a car, yes, I'll admit, I drove pretty quick. I'm not going to admit to speeding, don't get me wrong, but I can understand the joy that he felt when he first got his brand new car and he wanted to drive it. And the worst part about it is James Dean had a friend in it. His friend survived. James Dean did not. He died almost instantly from a broken neck. In fact, the images of the crash, the rubble, is just so heartbreaking. It's a brand new Porsche. Like, it just came out that year. And he bought it a week before. That's just sad to me, you know? I don't know. It, 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 it brings up new perspective to me every time I drive past that place now. I see it and I think, I, I could have, you know, I don't know. I could have sympathized with him. In fact, I, I do nowadays. He's been dead for years, but I still sympathize with him knowing that's what happened. I mentioned there was another person in the car during the crash. Rudolf Wulderich. I don't know if I'm saying that right. I'll just call him Rudolph. It's all German last name. You guys know that. I'm not German. I apologize uh, to the German people if I mispronounced it. However, I hope I I hope I did it right. Like I literally, I literally paused the recording, looked up how to pronounce it. So you know, I hope I at least did that a little right. But yeah, Rudolph Wulderich. I'm sorry. Um, he was in the car 
when they crashed. James Dean died of a broken neck. Rudolph, on the other hand, survived the crash. However, he was dealt a devastating blow by the incident. He was never the same afterwards, and he himself died in a car crash 26 years later. So that's that. That's one of the that's one of the side pieces. Um, that that's who else? That's the other person who was in the car. My bad. But it was interesting to me that he survived and the other person did not. Rudolph himself sustained some altering injuries, like after several surgeries. By the way, he was a racer. They were actually driving to a race course. The entire ordeal was such a mess. Even before this, he was actually recording a PSA for the state of California, letting them know, hey, drive safe. It's not safe to drive fast on the road. He wasn't speeding, don't get me wrong. In fact, let me tell you his last words. That guy's gotta stop. He'll see us. I wish he did. I truly do wish he did. I, it, it occurs to me now that if James Dean had survived the crash, think of where we would be today historically. Like, his, historically speaking, he was already a big influence for the youth. Now picture if he'd survived. We would have a much different outcome in Hollywood. Culture itself would have been shifted dramatically from what we had back then. But because of his death, we will never know this. I think it's really sad. Like I, I look more into it. The more I see, the more I read, the, the impact that his death had was literally historically changing. Okay? If he had survived, he would have been a well-renowned actor across the world. So I've been talking about James Dean and the person in the car, but I didn't, I didn't go into detail as to who did the left turn that, that eventually killed him. You know, that caused the crash to begin with. Donald Turnip Speed, who at the time was, let's see here, was only 24 years old. 24? No, he was, oh, he was 23, my bad. I was off by a year. He was only 23 years old, and one of his infamous... I'm not even going to say infamous. I feel bad for the guy because it was a genuine accident that caused this, you know? Donald Turnipspeed is quoted as saying, I didn't see him. By God, I really didn't see him. And he was he was let off scot-free. But at the same time, that's got to affect you. Imagine crashing into a celebrity. I know for a fact that this guy definitely felt really bad. And guess where he was born? Tulare, California. That's right. He was born in Tulare. But there's not much detail about him, you know? Donald Turnipspeed, what an interesting name. I found it interesting, I don't know if you guys would. But yeah, he, he died in 1995. Um, sadly, that's the thing he's most known for too, you know? I, I can't imagine your entire name and your entire livelihood just being, just being changed like that. This guy was 23 driving to college, you know? Driving from college, my bad. He was a Cal Poly University um, student at the time. So I'm going to move on and talk more about the history of James Dean himself. But before I do move on, I just want to let you guys know. This place is called the James Dean Memorial Junction. Look it up on Google Maps. You can still see it to this day. In fact, I'm seeing some images where the famous, um, the famous site where the car was perked up against the fence. That fence is still there to this day. I did not think of it like that, you know? You see things like that all the time and you think, okay, it's a wooden fence, who cares? But in this context, it does add a bit more, 
I don't know, it just adds something to it, you know? Like, you, you see it now. Like, there's pictures of the fence online. And you could see, if you look up pictures of the car wreck itself, you will see the fence in the background, where it was actually pushed just enough so that it didn't break the fence, but it was just a little askew, just a little off. That fence is there to this day, along with several flowers, a big, a big sign that just says Dean on it. It's nice, you know? It's nice going there. There's also a store nearby that sells fudge. I don't know why I'm mentioning that, but I love that store. I've been there so many times. Every time I'm going to Pismo Beach, I stop there. And outside, there's a giant cardboard cutout of James Dean pointing. One of his famous um, poses where he's got his leg just kind of perked up. He's got a cigarette in one hand. Looks like a badass, I won't lie. But I, I, it's, it's fun to me now. Everything is changing. My perspective of it is changing because I'm learning about the history. Along with you guys, by the way. I'm Googling this as I go along. So, you know, it's fresh in my memory. Because I got a short-term memory. I've already forgotten what this podcast is about. Just kidding, I read the title. A little more into that store I told you about. It's called the Blackwell's Corner General Store. If you're ever in the area, go ahead and stop there. They got some really good fudge. Like, really, really good fudge. And you could see the, the giant cardboard cutout of James Dean's face on the outside as well. I do stop there a lot, I won't lie. I love fudge. I don't care that it's costing me an arm and a leg and maybe diabetes. You know what? That's fine. I'm closer to seeing James than you'll ever be. This is awkward. I had to pause the recording because someone just shot a gun in the backyard. Okay, anyway, moving on. James Dean is actually the coiner of the very famous line, You're tearing me apart. Of course, in the movie, he said, um, he said it with more tears in his eyes. It's a really tearful event. However, some of you might recognize that quote because <laughs> Tommy Wiseau quoted him in the movie The Room and I mean bro come on like I'm sorry Tommy Wiseau you did not do that line justice if you guys want to see the real line look up Rebel Without a Cause watch the movie seriously watch it it was literally what's the word how do I put how do I put it in words culturally changing Culturally significant, I guess. That's a good way to put it. This podcast might be longer than usual because I'm gonna be honest, this guy's just so full of amazing quotes. This guy's awesome. Like, the more I look into it, the more I love it. I've said that so many times already. You guys just need to look up his movies. You guys just need to watch his movies, okay? I'm watching them, okay? Every single one. I've seen Rebel Without a Cause. Okay, at least clips of it. I can't find the full movie. I don't know where I can find it. If anyone knows, let me know. I don't know how you would. Okay, the Instagram's still open. But yeah, in Rebel Without a Cause, he did quote that. He said, you're tearing me apart. I can't do it. I, I can't do it. I'm sorry. I just can't. This guy was incredible, by the way. Oh, by the way, anyone from Marion, Indiana. He was born in your town on February 8th, 1931. Died September 30th here. We already went into that. Okay. Dean's family moved from Indiana to California when he was five. So, he didn't really spend much time in Indiana. I think I think just spending your first 5 years in a in a in a state or in a town, it doesn't really change you all that much, you know? Like what do you really remember from when you were 1 to 5? I guess at some point you develop consciousness, so maybe he did remember moving over here. I'm pretty sure that was a big move too. Because in, in, in Marion, Indiana, I'm pretty sure that yeah, they got some culture over there too, but he would have been a way he would have been a much different person if he had stayed over there. 
Anyone who know, anyone who's in the industry of acting knows that you gotta start somewhere small, okay? So I look back and I'm looking at where James Dean started. And it can all be pinpointed to a single soft drink commercial of all things. So imagine starring in a commercial for, let's say, Sprite. You know, something small like that. I don't remember. Let, let me see if I can look up what what brand of soda he was in. If I could find the commercial, even better. I'll post that on my Instagram. I just saw the commercial. I gotta say, I love that. I love that commercial. Okay, guess what soda brand it was? You're wrong, it's Pepsi. Back when they called it Pepsi-Cola. It's such a small role that he played, but it's so cool. Like, all he did, right? There's a... Let me describe the scene. There's a piano machine. One of those you put a quarter in. Very... Okay, it might not have even been a quarter, if I'm being honest. One of those really old machines where you put a coin in it, and it starts playing um, It starts playing a nice tune, you know? So James Dean is holding a soda, and they're hearing the piano go off, but it just sounds wrong. Like, it sounds really off. It's playing random keys. So what he does, right? James Dean takes a sip of his Pepsi, smacks the piano, and it starts playing Pepsi-Cola. And it starts playing the jammiest song I've ever heard. I wish commercials were like that nowadays. It's so cool seeing that. There's a bit of, I don't know, I, I gotta post it on my Instagram, that's so cool. Although people may not get the context until this podcast comes out. You know what, that's fine. They'll figure it out on their own. So it was after this Pepsi commercial that went so well. By the way, exactly, he's great, and by the way, I could see why he wanted him. After this, he got a speaking role as John the Baptist in the television Easter special, Hill Number no. 1, which is a show that aired in 1951. He plays bit parts in three Hollywood films, Fixed Bayonets in 1951, Sailors Beware in 1952, and Has Anybody Seen My Gal in 1952, before moving to New York, on the advice of actor James Whitmore, of all people, with whom he had briefly studied. So yeah, they went to, um, they went to an acting college together. I believe it was in LA? Let me double check. There's so much text on my screen right now. Um, how do I put what I'm seeing? I essentially have a history book open, and I'm reading through everything. But yeah, basically they were friends in college. That's how I could put it. Man, imagine being friends with him. He, he seems like such a nice guy. James Dean is so cool. I'm simping over someone who died 50 years ago. Okay, cool. After a series of short-term jobs, including a brief period as a stunt tester for the CBS game show Beat the Clock, he was cast in a key role in the Broadway flop See the Jaguar, which is kind of sad. Okay, see the Jaguar, the reason it flopped was people just didn't like it, you know? But that's, that's, that's showbiz, baby. Not everything hits. Not everything is going to land. I guess that's how he learned it, you know? He learned the hard way. Which some of you, um, I don't know, man. I, I'm really ratting on you. I'm really ranting on you people for some reason. By the way, I'm so happy that viewership's gone up. Thank you, by the way. A lot of people, I believe, are coming from Twitter. Anyway, we're going to keep moving on because a lot of this historical historical um, significance comes up just after See the Jaguar. More success was um, his sly, insinuating performance as blackmailing homosexual... Ho <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, back then it was different, okay? So back then he was the um, the evil homosexual houseboy in another Broadway production, The Immortalist, which came out in 1954. So it was mostly Broadway that brought him to stardom. Before movies, before everything, he was in Broadway. Which I know a lot of you listening 
are, you know, from New York. So thank you, by the way. You might be the next James Dean. For those in New York struggling to act, I'm telling you right now, do not stop trying. Do you understand me? When you think you're going to give up, don't. You are special. You're going to do it, okay? You're going to be amazing. You're going to be the next James Dean. Just don't die in a car crash and curse the curse the world. Please don't do that. Okay, moving on. Andre Gide's book. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. The Immortalist was a stage adaptation of a book by Andre Gide. I like that name. And by the way, doing that, after he was acting in The Immortalists, he was brought to the attention of film director Elia Kazan, who cast him in the leading role of troubled teenage... Let's see here. Teenage Kyle Trask in East of Eden. Okay. That's when he did it. After The Immortalists, and after he was... Uh, after Elia Kazan saw him on stage, that's when it started. That's that's what started it. So we've gone from a Pepsi commercial to Broadway to his first movie. His first movie being East of Eden. Never seen it before, I won't lie. Came out in 1955. It's a screen adaptation of John Steinbeck's novel by the same name. And that's... It's funny, too, because th this being his first role... That's what started his reputation. It was on set that people were, um, people realized that he would read lines deliberately wrong, baiting people to, to challenge the norms, you know, challenging his fellow actors, including Julie Harris and Raymond Macy. While East of Eden premiered, however, Dean was seen as a movie star for the, for the first magnitude and was nominated for an Academy Award one movie in, he's already nominated. He must have been a hell of an actor. I gotta see this movie. Man, that's... That's showbiz, baby. You either make it or don't. I don't know why I'm saying that. A lot of you are gonna make it, okay? So James Dean's second movie. Not his first, but his second movie was Rebel Without a Cause. And that's when everyone loved him. You know, that's the movie that I know him for. I've never even... Okay, I've seen parts of the movie, but, you know, you, you, you get what I'm trying to emphasize here. That made him into the embodiment of his generation, which is, it's got to be the highlight of, like, that right there cements you into history. When someone says that you're the embodiment of his gener of your generation, I mean, that, that tells you right there that you did something right. You killed the role, you know? That's a good thing for anyone listening who doesn't know. When, when someone says, you killed it, that doesn't mean a bad thing. Unless we're talking about my pet cat, which I don't actually have anymore. <laughs> it was this movie that cemented him as the hero of most teenagers at the time. People who were younger, who had no direction in life, who had no purpose. Disenfranchised, disenchanted teenagers. They saw him as their hero now. Because for the first time, their generation was finally being properly represented because in the movie, he goes against all social norms. All of his elders tell him to be one way and he wants to be another way, but he aches to belong, desperately clinging to anything that gives him that gives his life meaning and purpose and direction. Very important for this era, the 1950, uh, 1950s. 1955, right in the middle of it too. Sadly, we've come full circle. And let me tell you why. After this, James Dean 
was recording George Stevens' Giant in 1956. It was a drama set on a Texas ranch that also starred Rock Hudson and Elizabeth Taylor. The sad part is shortly after filming, this is when he had his infamous drive off. This was the end of James Dean, short-lived, but in his short time, he grasped the hearts of many a teenager in the 1950s. It was this that cemented him in history. There will never be another James Dean. However, maybe in the future, there will be someone who speaks to the masses, just like he did. Someone who can finally, properly display people on the screen. The way James Dean represented an, an entire generation on screen. That's, I don't know, man. I, I, I read this now. I see it and I think, I wish there was more. Like, I, like I'm reading this right now and I'm actually sad. I'm at the bottom of the page because there's an entire um, Britannica on him. Oh, dude, I just wish there was so much more to, like, to, to this history of his. Just afterwards, just after the giant, um, George Stevens' giant is recorded, he drives off and that's when he was um, hit and killed instantly. There is no more history of James Dean. He doesn't need, I don't know, he doesn't need an introduction, at least for me. I know who he is. I don't know him personally, but in a way I feel touched. Learning everything I have about him. In just two movies, Rebel Without a Cause and Giant, he was nominated for an Oscar and he received one. Or he would have if he was still alive. But because of what happened, and because of how fast and suddenly we lost James Dean, there was, there was a mystique about him. There was mystery. What would have happened if he had never died? What would have changed significantly, you know? What would history be like? What would Hollywood be like? We will never know. And it's because we will never know that there's still a cult following of him to this day. It's been 50 years. It's been more than 50 years. But people still love this guy. Because of how suddenly he disappeared. We'll never know if he was going to be the next... I don't know, man. The next Hollywood superhero. Imagine. Imagine James Dean being one of the first representations of Batman. That would have been a different movie for sure. It would have stayed campy like it was back then. Back before Hollywood decided, hey, Batman is now a goth icon. I don't mind it. I haven't seen the new Batman movie, don't get me wrong. I don't really plan to. I mean, I'll wait for it to come out in a streaming service, but yeah. And there it is. There's the short but interesting history of James Dean. And if you did not know, now you know. James Dean, short-lived. But in those short years, he's done more than quite a lot of people. I mean, at the age of 24, dying. And two movies he was in. Two of them getting an Oscar nomination damn dude I don't know my hat's off to James Dean for all of the fans of his you know this is for you this this is this is my send-off because all I did was drive past a memorial I did not know anything about it I wasn't that interested at first but just the name caught my attention knowing that I had driven past the scene where he died that I don't know. You, you feel something. After you learn this much about him, you feel something. Seeing his first commercial, seeing his stardom, learning about Broadway, 
learning about his first movies, knowing he was Oscar nominated for two movies. He didn't even have that many movies under his belt. He didn't have that much acting experience. He didn't need to because he represented the 1950s. That's James Dean in a nutshell right there. Whew. This was uh, definitely a different episode for what I normally post. So thank you guys for listening to this episode of the podcast. Be sure to follow me on Spotify if you're on there. Apple Podcast, I believe, does have that as well. Hopefully they actually you know, post it. Last time it was a week late. I am sorry about that. I am not in control of that. That's RSS's problem. I do recommend just going straight to the website rss.com and listening there. It's much faster that way, and you can actually click the links that are in the description. So yeah, that was James Dean in a nutshell. That was my historic breakdown. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you guys didn't know anything about James Dean, you know now. Because I know it's been years, but I don't see anyone talking about him anymore. You know? Which is really sad. Anyway, see ya.